and welcome back to Say It With Your Whole Chest. My name is Jess, also known as the Fat Funny One, and welcome. For those of you who don't know, Say It With Your Whole Chest is a conversation starter. It is an opportunity for people to say what they want without the fear of the consequences, but be able to start some incredible conversations and to really be open and honest. This week is a really special episode and it is a bonus episode which we have done in collaboration with the Migration Museum, an incredible museum based here in South East London and it is showing the movement and the personal stories to and from the UK of some incredible people that have been part of building the NHS as we know it. This was a fantastic opportunity for me to interview Dr Mean Alviz, an incredible doctor based here in London who gosh I can't even begin to explain how incredible she is heavily pregnant she protested to get the correct PPE throughout this coronavirus pandemic to make sure that people on the front line like her and her colleagues were getting the right protection so they could do the best they could for their patients she is absolutely incredible and this was such a brilliant conversation both of us having babies during a pandemic not something I thought I'd ever say we talk about motherhood we talk about all her protesting and activism and we talk about that any voice any voice has the power to ignite some serious change i hope you feel empowered and inspired by this episode i am so grateful to have been a part of this to find out more about the exhibition head to www.heartofthenation.co.uk all of the details will be linked in the description below thank you so much for tuning in make sure you subscribe and enjoy you oh great Jess I was really looking forward to this I've just been sat all day here just waiting like I have this one thing to look forward to tonight that doesn't involve breastfeeding or changing nappies so (laughs) you and me both (laughs) so I am going to introduce you and what we're talking about today and how we have come about together so we are doing this live which is hosted by the Migration Museum which is incredible And it's a museum that looks at the movement of migration, especially people uh, within the Black and Caribbean community and the Asian community, and how that has, I guess, created and supported our NHS and, and been an incredible part of what that has become. And you are just a powerhouse, powerhouse. You are a doctor, a mother, a woman, which just automatically makes you awesome. Um, And you are just incredible and doing some incredible things. So we are going to talk about that and talk about you. And thank you to the Migration Museum for bringing us together. Thank you for that amazing introduction, Jess. Um, I didn't think anyone (laughs) ever introduced me like that. So (laughs) thank you. You are welcome. You are welcome. So tell everyone who doesn't know a little bit about you. I am also going to throw in there that you are not just a doctor and a woman and mother. You are a Vogue cover girl. We're going to take it there. We're going to take it there. But for those who don't know you, just explain a bit about you. Okay, so I don't know if anyone follows me on Instagram. So maybe people have seen a bit about what I've been doing over the last year. But essentially, things started to gain momentum when the pandemic hit. And that's when I started to to speak up with, with my husband. I have to say... It was my husband who was the first person to speak up regarding the whole um, protective gear that that was affecting the NHS. And when when my husband spoke up to say that things were not going well, things were going wrong, I gained that courage to speak up in my own workplace as well. And I think that was the biggest issue at that time, Jess. There was a lot of fear around speaking up, especially at that time when our main priority 
should have really been protecting our patients. But we could only do that if we had the right protection. It was it was really as simple as that. So my husband said to me one one day we were just sat sat at home and he's like, Mila, I need we need to do something about it. But the question at that time, Jess, was like, well, if we speak up when a lot of us are too afraid to, what happens if we lose our jobs? Yeah. And this was one of the biggest questions that was uh, lingering over our heads because we had a baby coming along the way as well. So we weren't sure what, what the right thing to do at that time. But we boiled it down to how can we help our colleagues and what is the truth? Do we have to speak the truth to help our colleagues? And we realized that that was the only way because we saw how the, the virus was going across Europe. Yeah. And the last thing we wanted was the same to happen to the UK. And the last thing we wanted was to see our colleagues in, in ITU, for example, like we were seeing in Italy and, and other parts of the world. So my husband spoke up and then from there I started to see that there were issues with me as well as a pregnant woman working um, in the NHS because I was just thinking about it today, you know, Jess, where now they're saying all pregnant women are vulnerable because we talk about like the vaccine and, and all these things that, that are coming up to protect the public. But at that time, Jess, you were only vulnerable if you were in your third trimester. I know that sounds really crazy now when I say it out loud. So at that time, technically, I wasn't vulnerable. But obviously, I was concerned about my my health and, and, and the health of, of my baby as well. And then through that time, we started to see how ethnic minority groups were disproportionately affected as well. Yeah. So all of these things were going in our heads all, every day, going into work was scary. We weren't sure what to do. We weren't sure if speaking up was the right thing. But it was the, the death of Nurse Mary Adjupon here in Luton Hospital. Yeah. Uh, where she she passed away and she left her, her her newborn baby behind, and that's when I told uh, Nishant that we we need to do something because we kept we kept talking about it in hospitals. Everyone was worried, but there was no definitive action taking place. So then I just sat at home one day and I wrote on my placard, "Protect healthcare workers." Got a bamboo stick, got some sellotape, and I just <laughs> yeah. went out to Downing Street. You do. Are you say, I love how you say it. Like you just popped to the supermarket. You're like, I just went down to Downing Street with this massive was, sign, heavily pregnant. Like you, you, it's just so, yeah, I just, I just did it. Like that is so empowering and so encouraging because yes, you're a doctor, you wear so many hats, but you were heavily pregnant. I don't think people understand the, the power of that. The thing is, is that I say it like that, like I just made my placard and went out to Downing Street because that's what really happened. It got to the point where we were so frustrated. We were just trying to, to figure out the best solution. And you know, when you just get fed up and you're just on adrenaline and also yeah. because we, we heard that the, oh, we heard of the death of nurse Mary Adjipong. I think all that frustration was just building up that why is this happening? Cause I knew this could have been avoided. And I think that was the biggest thing for me was that this didn't have to happen Nurse Mary didn't have to die. So many healthcare workers didn't have to die. And of course, I was worried about the consequences because I, I knew that after I protested, there would be maybe would have been some backlash. Maybe I would get a call from my boss. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I think it was just the, 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 the frustration and the adrenaline that said, OK, just just go and do it. And you're right. I was heavily pregnant. I remember just standing there thinking, wow, my legs are really hurting now. <laughs> um, but I felt I felt my baby kick during that time, Jess. And I think that's what gave me the power to, to keep going because I kept just thinking in my head, well, Radhika is going to come into this world. I want to make sure that people are fighting for the right thing. And I want to be, you know, I want to show her that we can speak up when we feel it's the right thing to do.
and that's not even just an example for her that is an example for all of us every single day because speaking out isn't easy and the fact that you did it so powerfully without the well you had the fear but without the fear of consequences because you knew that the importance of saying something at that point kind of overshadowed everything else everything else and there is so much power in that like I've spoken to a couple times now and I speak and I just I'm just so in awe of that strength and that resilience because you went out and you didn't just fight for yourself or you know for Mary or for your daughter you fought for everyone you went out there and said no this is what's going to happen we're going to do something about this we're actually going to take action because it's not we can't just sit down on this not for me not for my patients not for for anyone we are going to go out and we're going to do something and with my heavily pregnant self I'm gonna take a sign and that picture of you that image of you it's so powerful and then there's this other incredible powerful image of you on the cover of one of just the most incredible publications you made it to the cover of Vogue how did that feel like how did that come about what happened the, the so so just going back to to the protest Jess you mentioned that that image right and I think I think at that time maybe even now as well I think that's what what's missing uh the imagery of what doctors are really going through on the front line yeah. and that was what was really important at that time to have a lone protest I thought that would be the most powerful image at that time to say I will take it to the top if I have to um and I feel that that photo that that came out in the news was was the message that that I wanted to, to put out to, to the public that you can try and silence us if you want, you can try and ignore us, you can try and ignore our needs, but we will still escalate if we have to. And that's what I wanted to show. And the great thing about that, Jess, was that I, I received lots of calls, not just from doctors in this country, but from other parts of the world as well, saying, actually, we're in similar situations and you've, you've given me the uh, courage to speak up. And that's all I wanted, Jess, because I knew that I protested on a Sunday morning. I knew that it's not like on Monday morning we'll get more PPE. I knew that wasn't what was going to happen. Yeah. But at least start the chain of the conversation. And that's all I wanted. And through throughout that time, so you spoke about Vogue as well. So between that protest and Vogue, my husband and I took the government to, to court. We filed for a judicial review as well. Amazing. So there was a lot going on through those months. I was pregnant. I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes as well, which is something I just forget because I mean, so much has happened, but I did go through all of that and being pregnant in a pandemic was something completely different as well yeah. that we can also talk about. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I've been there. I know. Yeah. Like, you've, done that, you've done that as well. And the the time between all of that was was very stressful because instead of sitting out in my garden with my feet up, I was emailing my lawyers, you know, calling calling the solicitors and it was a very stressful time but then one day I was just on on Twitter and I received a DM from uh, one of the editors of British Vogue and he just like said oh you know our editor wants to talk to you and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) so I I passed my phone to my husband and I said can you just read this again is this the right person and I googled I googled him his name is Giles and such a lovely guy and then the day after I received a call from the office and they, they told me what they're trying to achieve with the September issue. And I was called for a photo shoot. And this was a time where we were sort of in between lockdowns. So they called me to, to Holland Park uh, in London. And they said, you know, just wear whatever you want, just show up, we'll take the photos. And I was like, what am I going to wear? Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you going to 
this person like Vogue it's, it's a huge thing you know yeah. what do I do and then I thought about this a lot Jess and I thought well as a South Asian woman that's one thing but I'm also pregnant as well yeah I want to show people that it doesn't matter who you are where you're from you can be the person to make the change as well and this is why I I, show, I showed up to Holland Park and I was wearing my my traditional Indian dress Amazing. that I did buy the day before in a hurry <laughs> so, like 10 like a couple of sizes bigger than what what I actually am because I, I couldn't find any maternity clothes at that time but yeah and and the the photographer Miss Anne Harriman was so kind and he was just like so casual Robert uh, Jess he was just like just stand here and look there and he was click a photo I was like are we done <laughs> you know like that that's that's what it was and it was only when he spoke to me at the very end and said you know, the September issue is one of the most read issues um, throughout the year. Um, and it, we, you know, we will, we will distribute it to lots of different people. I think that's when I realized that impact that me being yeah. on the cover would have. And when I started to realize who else would be on that cover, I was shocked because those are the people I always look to for inspiration, especially throughout the time where I was speaking up and, you know, I was starting to understand a bit more about campaigning and activism and all these uh, different uh, roles I, I could play in society yeah that's when I realized that the power I I could have and the positive impact I I can have on society and you have had exactly that like it's just been amazing so Migration Museum how did you get to you know be part of this incredible online exhibit I'm going to share all the links as well so people can can have a look but how did you manage to get involved in that so it was Robin from Migration Museum who'd, who'd messaged me on on Instagram and she just called me up and we had a very long conversation about the history of this country, the history yep. of Britain and how it's built on, how is how a lot of different communities have helped build this country essentially. And I know these are discussions that are, that have been much more spoken about over the last couple of months due to the events we've seen throughout the, throughout the world. But yep. speaking to Robin made me understand at a much more deeper level, the importance of different communities and different societies to build this country. And she spoke to me about uh, how they go to different schools and they speak about how this country was built. And I realized that it's so important to, to speak to people about these things. And also very important to show people that, as I said, no, no matter where you're from, you can make a difference, even yeah. if you're not from that country, if that makes sense. I, yeah. it's, it was more about having a conversation about being a global citizen how can we help the world, regardless of where we're from or who we are? Essentially, we just want to make the world a better place. Yeah. And when she told me about the the, the projects that they were doing, I was, I mean, I was honored to, to be part of this incredible uh, museum that they've exhibited over the last few weeks, the last few months. And to see everybody else who they've also put in the exhibition um, has, has been really inspiring and a big eye opener for me as well to see how especially the NHS has been built. Yeah, and I think that's so important for the work they do with the schools because representation matters. And for young children from whatever community they're from or their background, it's so important for them to understand the part that their history or their culture or their ethnicity has played in building what we have today and being able to look at that and say, you know, I can resonate with those people. I can relate to those people. You know, there's someone that looks like me that has been part of this history and not feel left out. And that work they do with the children, I think is absolutely incredible. And that's why it's so empowering to see black and brown women, women from all different you know, backgrounds, but standing up and being an example to young children to say, actually, that's possible for me too. 
that in itself is just so powerful and the work that they do in the exhibition is just well it's yeah priceless, and, and isn't yeah. It? I, I don't know about yourself but for me when I, I mean I don't remember seeing people with my skin color on a magazine cover for example and this is why when I got contacted by, by British Vogue I, it just took me back to my own childhood thinking well I never saw anybody like that on a cover and now if, for example Radhika or your children see someone like them on a cover it empowers yeah. them and Essentially, with everything that you're doing, everything that I'm doing, everything the Migration Museum is doing, is with the the idea that we just want to empower people and show people that their voice is powerful enough and their actions can actually create a difference in this world. Yeah, and it's having that domino effect, isn't it? We all think that as an individual, our voice can't do that much. We we sometimes think, well, what's the point in me saying anything because I'm just me and that's not going to do anything. And the example that you're leading is, okay, this might just be me, but if I can knock that first domino and have this massive knock-on effect you don't know how far it can go yeah. and that is that in itself just proves that it, it doesn't matter how small you think your voice is you have a voice and it's so so important now looking back we, we've both been pregnant in a pandemic which I just <laughs> like that it just it's surreal even still saying it how how far pregnant were you when you were protesting and how did that feel because you were wearing well, you're, you know, about to be a new mum. You're also doctor. You're also now activist. <laughs> you had so many hats on. How did that feel? And were you able to really focus on your new arrival that was that was coming? I think it was one of those situations, Jess, where I had two options at that time. I could have just sat at home and stayed away from it all because in my third trimester, I was shielding. I was, I was sat at home anyway. And to be honest, I, I could have just sat at home and said, okay, look, I'm just going to try and focus on my pregnancy. And that was one option. The other option was to do what I did. And I went for the latter because I knew if I sat at home, then I'd probably get more anxious and get more scared about what was going to happen. So I thought, well, if I can actually do something to make a positive change, then I will feel a bit better about it. Now, when I was protesting, I think I was just one week away from my third trimester. So I was sort of... Um, no almost going into into the last phase of my pregnancy and it was very difficult because I hadn't seen my parents for a long time and my, my husband's parents you know they, they live quite close to us but they still couldn't come around because Nishant was working in a hospital we were living on separate floors so I wasn't getting pampered by by Nishant as he promised he would pamper me so <laughs> I'm, I'm holding on to that <laughs> He owes you big time. <laughs> yeah, he owes me nine months of pampering, Jess. So I'm yeah, just holding on to that. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't experience the joys of pregnancy, and yes, I was frustrated, like a lot of other women. I'm sure you were as well. That the pandemic sort of stole that from us. I know this was your your third pregnancy, so you can't complain as much as I can. <laughs> I can't. And do you know what? I totally can't because, and I've been really mindful of that because I, I do think a third time round, I've kind of got a bit. It's fine. <laughs> Whereas I can imagine, you know, if this was me going back to my pregnancy with Sophia, with my eldest, I just, I couldn't, I don't think I could really fathom the impact that would have because I've kind of experienced that. So I went to the baby groups. I had all the family make a fuss, you know, I, I had all that. So I think it's been awful to watch, you know, friends and family have babies over this time and not be able to experience it the same. So you're totally, I definitely can't. Like I, I just came home and was like, ah, there's just another one here. It's fine. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, Jess, just with a lot of, just like a lot of other women, when I was going into hospital, as I said, I was diagnosed with them. Um, with gestational diabetes. So I was going to these hospital appointments without my husband. And it was strange because Nishant was working in the same hospital I was going to my appointment for. 
So he'd just literally be next door um, and I'd be talking to the midwife. And, you know, one of the one of the most interesting things that I, I realized in this time was that despite having a medical degree, despite understanding everything about being pregnant, it's still very scary because you're trying to absorb a lot of information, trying to understand what's happening, trying to pivot, change your decisions. It's a lot to take in by yourself. You know, you need that support. You need that extra person with you to just like sort of hold your hand and say, it's okay, you know, everything will be fine. And I went through all the hormonal changes. I, I cried. I was upset. I missed my parents. I didn't know if Nishant would be able to be with me when I had Radhika. And in fact, my whole birth plan changed because of the pandemic. Uh, I just went for, I chose to go for a C-section because I thought it would be the quickest thing in and out sort of thing. Like <laughs> just... Go home. <laughs> but it it does change the the way you you give birth and you know that really important time in your life where you you're supposed to be bonding with the child. And I remember sitting in the hospital after I, I delivered Radhika and Nishan could only stay with me for about 45 minutes and then he had to leave. And all these things like breast trying to breastfeed your child, like I, I won't go through the list, but it's a lot to take on by yourself. And I, I was speaking to someone last week about it and I don't think I've absorbed everything just yet. I think it's going to take yeah. me some time to unpack it all. It's been a very stressful year for me and for so many other pregnant women as well. I think that it's, it's going to take a long time for me to actually understand what's, what's happened because everything has just been go, go, go since March, really. Yeah. And the impact of that takes a while to digest like you've got so much to unpack because it's not just being pregnant and, and becoming a mother in a pandemic your your job you were on the front line and and the impact on that on it so all of these things on their own are huge and you've dealt with multiple <laughs> you know you've dealt with a lot of that all at one time and I think that conversation is it will take a while it will take a while for you to unpack it and really understand and look at each kind of tiny pocket of that um and really really unpack it all for yourself so you you do, you do so much you've got loads of stuff going on because you, you we talked about all this but you also have a podcast <laughs> you, you're like non-stop I love it I love it I love it that's my kind of woman like I'm all about yes, I mean look at you <laughs> both of us are like oh well you you're busy well you're busy you're busy <laughs> But I think when you when you're passionate about women in particular, and when you're passionate about what you do and empowering people, like there's no stopping you. So people say to me, like, "Why are you still doing?" This? And you're doing this, and you're doing this, and it's like, yeah. But if I can just empower one more person, if I can just knock over that first domino in this and start this conversation, then it's worth you know not sleeping for two nights, which you don't do with babies anyway. But it's worth doing that because you can. And so you. You're, we, we keep talking about all your different hats, but those hats also are identities, aren't they? Because you've got your South Asian identity, that's that's who you are. You're now a mother, you're a doctor, and you've had to juggle all of those. Do you think one was more present than the other throughout any of this? Or if you have had to stand in one of those more more so than the others? That's a very good question, Jess. And I think that's the first time someone's asked me that. I've never really had to think about it but I think that every single day I'm putting one hat on taking the other off and that's yeah. that's that's what happens when you have so much going on and you got a newborn you're in a pandemic you don't have a childcare like you would have hoped you would have and I think I've just learned to pivot so mm -hmm. I could be 
writing an email and just have to pause that, feed my child, go back to the email. It could be eight hours later that I finish off my <laughs> sentence. It, it happens. But I think that's what, that's my superpower. And I think that's what motherhood brings. I think it brings you these superpowers that nobody else has, which is to be able to pivot. And I'm saying this because a year ago, if you put me in this situation where I had a newborn baby in front of me who I had to feed a nappy chain, no way I could have done it. I would have, I would have been so scared. Like, how, how do you expect me to do everything? But now this year, especially, Jess, I feel like so many truths of the world have come in front of us mm. that I feel like I have to have to be there every single day because I know in five years' time, in 10 years' time, Radhika or your kids, for example, will look back and think, well, this was a very critical point in our history, in our generation. What was done to make change happen? Because yeah. right now, in our positions, in your position, my position, we look back to... For example, Martin Luther King. We look at all the people before us and we say, well, what did they do at that time? People will look back at this generation and say, well, what was actually done to make a change? And my biggest fear is that Radhika is going to look back and think, well, nothing was really done. People sat back and watched. And that's what scares me the most because you talk about the different hats and one is being a mother, but one is also being a daughter. My parents came from India and they have faced their fair share of racism um, and discrimination. And I feel it wouldn't be right to not fight for the truth uh, because they deserve that, at least in their lifetime. Yeah. And you know, we talk about the different hats, but sometimes I forget as well that I'm also a daughter to my parents. And I have, I have a role to play in my family, um, not just for the future generation, but for those who work so hard to bring me in this position where I'm sitting here right now talking to you, I have to say, okay, I can talk to my grandmother now. I can look her in the eye and say, things were bad for you, but I'm trying to make things a better place for your granddaughter. Yeah, that's so powerful. And it's funny when you said about, when I said, what made you you know, think to just make that snap decision and get up and go? And you had two choices we've been doing a lot of learning in our house about our history and, you know, looking at exhibits like the Migration Museum and learning not just about our family history, but just the broader history. And one of the things that we found really interesting is we were looking at Rosa Parks and the decision she made that day was, she says in interviews, was just a split decision. There was no planning. There was, I didn't sit down, you know, and think that's what I'm going to do on my way home. Just like you didn't sit down for ages and think, you know, am I going to get up today? Or maybe it's just that, that power in that just says, no, I've had enough. I'm going to say something. I'm going to take action. And it can sometimes happen in just a few seconds decision-making and you just get up and take action. And I think people think sometimes it's this huge, you know, plan and you've written this huge plan and you've, you know, meticulously decided what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how you're going to do, what the consequences are and balance. And you don't, you don't. Sometimes the most important things that have happened in history have happened in a split second where someone's gone I'm going to do something about this or I'm going to say something or I'm not going to get up or whatever that might be sure and I think one of the the issues are that you know when you make that split second decision you can't explain how you feel it's like such a very it's it's such a visceral feeling Mm -hmm. um where it's it's so many different emotions like mixed in together right at the same time that it's not just anger it's not just frustration it's not just sadness it's everything coming together and I, I think one of the things that really, really hit home for me, Jess, was is that, I, and I said this to Nishant as well, I said it's always the same people getting affected. It's always the same people from the, the same communities, the same parts of society who have to suffer. And 
at that time last year i was watching how things were unfolding in india right i saw how the labor class were, were affected as well and how people were walking miles to get back to the villages because there was no transport because they shut the country down without any warning people were left with nothing and my my own father was one of those labor class working people at one point i can't imagine my father having to walk all those miles and it's, it, it was one of those things where I said, it's always the same people being affected. And if we're the ones being affected all the time, change will only happen if we speak up. Because we saw, and, and, and the, the crazy thing was, that day when I was outside Downing Street and I was protesting, I was outside number 10 and the buildings looked so beautiful because the sun was shining, spring was coming. Everything looked so rosy and nice and you would have never thought we were in a pandemic. But you see that there are some people in our society who don't actually have to suffer like, some people yeah. do and they're very they're, they're they're blessed that they have that bubble and that environment where they don't and have that privilege mm. they have that privilege yeah and they can they can step away from it all um but we're the ones who, who have to fight on the front line and after after mary's death a few weeks after that um my husband and i attended mary's funeral and my <laughs> my mother said i shouldn't go because as a as a pregnant woman in our culture we shouldn't attend funerals. It's one of those yeah. things that they say. And I, I was following a lot of like traditions and rituals that my mother told me just sort of to keep her happy. Yeah. But that was one thing I said, I, I can't, I have to go to show my support for Ernest because yeah. the grief that hit this family, Jess, is going to live with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, without a doubt. And he's done so much since then, so much since then. He's just kept powering forward and has ignited so much change. Like yourself, he's done incredible work well, it's that, taken a year you think that if, if he's lost his wife he's got two young children if he can fight for his wife and have that like power then surely I can do something to, to help him along yeah. the way and guide him along the way and I remember when we drove to to the funeral Nishan got out the car and he said Meadle you don't have to come in if, if you don't want to because I know that it's going to upset you yeah and I said, no, I need to. I said, even if I stand like on the on the edge, like I just need to be there. And the first thing I saw when I when I walked in was just people in tears and people crying. And the only thing going through my head was that our ministers and our leaders were coming out on these daily press briefings, wearing their nice suits, saying all these numbers, saying we're world beating, saying things like this that weren't true, that they weren't actually reflecting the reality of what was happening in this country. And I saw the grief that hit this one family, one family. And now that that obviously has gone into the thousands. So I, how can, I mean, I've said all of this, Jess, and you tell me, how can I just sit back and not do anything? I just, I'm like you. So I'm like, no, I know. Like I get powered and fired up as well. But there are a lot of people who don't. And that's not a criticism on their part because a lot of people don't know how. And it can be really tough because, again, it goes back to, but if I say something, my voice isn't big enough. I'm not going to ignite. Change. Who am I to ignite change? Who am I to do anything about it? And I think that is what stops so many people from starting conversations or saying something or taking action. Not because they don't want to sometimes, not because they can't. Or It's just that feeling of, am I, who am I? What am I going to ignite and that's why it's so important when we have examples like you on the cover of magazines you know incredible images of you like proving and evidencing that action you know can happen you can have impact when you get up and you say something when you get up and you do something and that legacy what you've done 
I don't know if you even know the impact of that in terms of, you know, not just on a practical level, but on an emotional level for so many people watching. I know I can speak for myself and just say, now I'm like, right, what can I do? Who can I talk to? Where can I go? I'll go and knock down number 10's down the street's door. Like what? Come on. <laughs> like Because now I feel like, yeah. And those are the examples that we need to see. Those are the things that we need to see. And the work that the Migration Museum does is empowering and inspiring young minds to see their history to see what their legacy is so that they can be the people who in the future do what you do take sure, action I, I think you know one of the things that we always say in our house that you, you can't be what you don't see and if we don't see people like myself people like you who are trying to change society and have a positive impact then we will never take that first step and I think this is the, the biggest weakness we have in our generation, especially, Jess, is that everything, if we talk about fame, we talk about social media fame and getting popular, it seems like that's the only way to create a change in society. You need to have a big following. You need to have lots of people on, on your Twitter or your Instagram. And we live in this bubble where we think that people won't listen to us if we've got like 10 followers or 20 followers. <laughs> yeah. You know, that happens. And I think that if you're passionate enough, if you really believe in in your cause, these numbers shouldn't matter. And creating change doesn't mean that you have to be on the cover of Vogue or you have to be outside Downing Street. Creating change and having a positive impact on society can be as simple as speaking to your parents, yeah. having a conversation at the dinner table. And I'm not saying have an argument with them, but try and enforce that change. And because we live in a generation where we get everything so easy, you've got Netflix, Amazon, delivery everything just comes like yep. there there in front Instant, of you yeah we expect change to happen instantly as well mm-hmm. i think that's where we need to be a bit more patient because you will make a change the next day especially when we, we're talking about generational generational changes you can't change your mother's thoughts or your father's thoughts in one dinner table conversation it can take years yeah and i think putting that effort in itself can have such a positive impact on our society because small things like that will affect things like, well, who are your parents going to vote for in the next election? Yeah. What what are your parents going to talk about with their friends? And you know, as you said, the domino effect, that's how yeah. it happens. And you can't you can start that within your own home. And I think that's something that people just need to remind themselves of that you don't have to be shouting on social media, posting Instagram stories or sharing things like, yeah, that's one way to do it. And if you do it, that's great. But just start from where you are. Who's next to you? Who's sitting with you at your dinner table? And start from there. And and educating and leading by example to your children, I think, is just one of the most powerful things you can do. Because ultimately, the children are our future. As, as cliche as that sounds, they are. And I hope that the way I teach and lead my children, you know, and educate them will hopefully mean that they are the powerhouses who say something, who are well-rounded, who are respectful, who understand where they've come from and the impact that they can have by going, actually, yeah, if I just help one person, then that person might help two people and those two people might say something to three people. And and I don't think people understand the power in having those conversations, like you said, at home, just those, those, those conversations you can do. And I think people think 
like, and I know I keep going back to the museum, but those things are now online. You know, we can access them. We can see them. I know it's really tough in the circumstances where we can't go to places to learn, but that information is being brought to us by places like the Migration Museum who are creating those spaces and those resources of information and making them available. And that, you know, for me, I almost want to say there's no excuse to learn. There's no excuse to find the information because it's there and it's offered to you and it's it's such a fantastic opportunity to grow not just for your children but for yourself to understand that about yourself so you are now how old your daughter now she's a similar age to JJ isn't she six months six months so you're six months in (laughs) how are you feeling about motherhood now because I know the experience is obviously very different but where are you at now you're six months in you're you're becoming a pro now just so you know (laughs) I I never thought I could get through six months of sleep deprivation (laughs) anything is possible trust me when you become a mum you're like how did I survive how how I I mean I I went through it in medical school like I had sleepless nights to study for exams and all that and I did it for two days and I was like I need a two-month holiday now. I'm just going to book a flight to Brazil. I'm going to sit on the beach. <laughs> Can't do that now. Not only because I have a baby, but because we're in a pandemic. So, <laughs> you know, six, six months in. Um, but firstly, like on a more serious note, I'm very grateful that I'm yeah. here with, with Radhika because there was a time where I, I wasn't sure that would happen. I wasn't, yeah. There was a time where I didn't know if I'd see this day because things were so bad in the hospital at that time, working on the front line. Every day I'm very grateful to have her next to me and see her smile and grow. But I feel like a sense of guilt in the sense that I always think think about Mary sometimes. Yeah. She never got to hold her baby. And, you know, there are days I do think about it because I gave birth to Radhika in the same hospital where Mary had passed away. So all of these thoughts do come, come to mind, Jess, when there are days where I'm just like, well, I have this beautiful baby in front of me, but there are some mothers who haven't had the chance to do that. And this is one of my my driving forces to keep making change where possible yeah. because these stories are still still there and you know that they're, they're not going to just disappear but having a baby has been has been challenging and I'll be very honest because I don't have the support that I was hoping I'd have and I got, I'm not I'm not sitting here just trying to feel sorry for myself but no the, the truth is that it, it is tough and you know we talk we talk about the fourth trimester being a difficult time but all the discussions around the fourth trimester, all the studies and are based on having support. Yeah. No one's done a fourth trimester study on in a pandemic. <laughs> I was going to say, that's so, very different. Yeah. So we're all, we're all just winging it, I guess, and just trying to get, day, get through it day by day. And to be honest, Jess, I don't know where time has gone. I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I can. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just getting a bit impatient now. I, I just want this all to end because... Yeah. Um, we've, we've all we've all I think we've all just seen enough of it now to be honest yeah and I think I did a post this morning about that gratitude and I've been going through that cycle of I need to be grateful because you know my children are here and there's people who haven't had a chance to experience that and then you go through this round of guilt for feeling bad that you feel bad <laughs> and then you go back to feeling angry and then you go back to feeling bad and then you're grateful yeah. and it's this cycle that you go around and and the whole point of my post was regardless your feelings are always so valid so valid and the experience that you're having compared to someone else compared to someone, all of the experiences are different but they're all valid and everyone will have moments of it where you think 
this is great I'm loving it and then other moments where you're like I, I can't do this this is this is too much and you have had such a wild 12 months or longer than 12 months and again like I said earlier not just as being pregnant you know in a pandemic but being pregnant on the front line and I don't think people understand just how scary and the impact of that and you've had both of those things to deal with and you're here like yeah just the sleep deprivation's a lot I'm like oh. <laughs> Well, that's, that's like, you're, you're like superwoman to me you really well, are. ask me like how are you as I said I can't unpack everything because I still yeah. don't understand what we've been through because as I said I'm just go 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 every day and I think sleep deprivation makes you just sort of be on survival mode and you you're don't just really dealing know. with what's now 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 yeah now, 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 yeah now, like yeah I need to eat baby needs to eat okay cool we're done that next step and that that's what that's what it's been like and Obviously, with, with my campaigning on the side, I'm trying to build momentum with that because I want to use. And this is the thing, right? When when all of this has happened now, I've been on Vogue, I've, I've done all of this. Now I, I have a platform. People know me. People know my name. I want to make sure that I use it in the most positive way possible. And a lot of people have got in touch with me over the last few months talking about how they can get involved and how, how they can go into campaigning and activism and all of these things. But I also feel that we all need to hit a reset button. Yeah, because all of this has been one moment in our history, which will probably never happen again, and we will go to some sense of normality at some point. And we need to make sure that when we go back to the sense of normality, we we go into that new chapter as a better person, yeah. not just for ourselves but for society. And these are the things that I'm thinking about all the time that. Things will change. I know that. I mean, we've got the vaccinations coming out. Things things will get better. But now I'm thinking down the line again. Well, in March, April, for example, when things get better, I don't want people to forget what's happened. Yeah, yeah. Because people are living with the consequences of this. So when you ask me how I'm doing, that's how I'm doing. <laughs> didn't know how yeah. to answer it. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's totally true because it's very quick. We're very quick to move forward. And people are very quick, especially when really huge things happen in history, to move forward, move on to the next thing, move on, move on. You know, we want it to be better, we want it to be better. But actually, what are we learning from the things that are happening? What are we doing about those things? Where are we finding gaps within our society where actually someone needs to pick up and say something? Where, you know, what are we teaching, again, our children? What are we teaching ourselves so that when we go into the next, I guess, phase of life and, and this is moved, you know, becomes part of history and isn't so present what are we doing how how does life then look because I think we almost think we're just, just going to go stop and then it's all going to go back to normal you know go back to 2019 and that's not what's going to happen and so people need to really take a moment and I hope people are reflecting in this in a similar way and going okay you know the next couple of years is going to look very different what is my impact here what am I learning now what can I use this time to do to become a better person better friend better ally what what am I doing in these moments so that I can ignite change like other people like I can I can do yeah. and, what other people and are saying and doing back to what we were saying Jess I mean I, I did say that having a dinner table conversation and take it a step back further back just you know try and read up on stuff by yourself that's enough like you don't even have to go beyond that if you can't and if you don't want to and I just really hope that this has taught us a big lesson on the impact that we can all have on society mm. um, and the voices we have, because we've seen over the last year, a lot of 
big, big moments in our history. You yeah. know, we're not just talking about the, the pandemic. We're talking about things like uh, George Floyd that we've seen in America. Yeah. We're talking about the American election. And I'll be very honest, Jess, before the whole pandemic, I wasn't very, very interested in politics because it always seems like a very scary thing to go into. <laughs> What, yeah. what is going on here? These, uh, what are these people doing in these fancy buildings sort of thing, right? Like, what, what? But actually, you need to understand that. Mm. You have to understand how things work because that actually impacts your life. Yeah. And that impacts your future. And this is what I want to really emphasize on um, today is that not only do you have an impact on other people around you, but you can have an impact on who you vote for, uh, the, the ways you educate yourself in um, because anybody who's sitting in that position of power yeah. will impact your life and the generations ahead. And I hope this has been a big uh, realization for all of us this year. Yeah. It, I wholeheartedly agree. It's definitely something I've been afraid to know about and I almost shy away from conversations or from speaking out sometimes because I fear that I don't know enough or I'm not well-educated enough, or I don't know as much as that person. But actually, sometimes it's still worth having that conversation and bringing some things to light because everybody is directly impacted, whether we like it or not. There's no two ways about it. We will be. And so it's so important to understand how those things happen. And again, it's just opening up those conversations and being, I don't even want to say courageous, but just having those moments where you are prepared to get uncomfortable because some of those conversations aren't comfortable and we're so scared to get uncomfortable sometimes we're we're also really scared to say we're also really scared to to say I don't know the answer and I think Mm -hmm. we just be completely open in that and we won't know everything Um, and it's okay to ask people to explain things to you because you don't have to be shy about what you know and what you don't know because I feel that this year specifically we've had a sort of hyper shift um, you know, usually in moments of history, we see things gradually change, gradually change. Yeah. But this year, I think, has been a big sort of shift all in one go. And I, I really want people to take advantage of that in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And take advantage of the the wealth of knowledge that is out there and the people that you can learn from. I always say, you know, diversify your feed, learn from it, make it a source of joy, a source of learning. I haven't had New Year's resolutions this year, but I have had two key words. And one of those words is learn. And I talk about it a lot. And I say to people, have one word that you want to focus on and learn is such a good one because it can be, you know, applied to any area of your life. I can learn to be a better parent. I can learn to crochet. I can learn to do anything, but actually what, the impact of that word is for me is to learn about how I can impact the world more, learn about where my place sits and what roles I can play that make change, that ignite change. And whether that's empowering one person to have the confidence to stand up or, you know, learning something that I teach someone else or just sharing a post that maybe is so informative, somebody else learns something. Those things are so important. And like you said, it's, it's sometimes small as having that conversation in your home or sharing some information but there's no right or wrong. There's just doing more and trying to be part of that change. So I'm going to ask the audience if they've got any questions, if they've got any questions at all. But what's what's next for you? While they're thinking of their questions, where, where are you going next? Apart from probably and hopefully at some point on holiday because <laughs> you need a break. Brazil. I've been thinking about Brazil yeah. since I said that. Yeah, you, you need you need a break. But what is next for you and 
what what are your plans are you making plans have you got some crazy thing you're going to do next and that's going to change the world again like where are you at well I think just this year as I said we've all realized the the power we have to to have a change to to create a change in society and I think now we've seen the impact this pandemic has had on the NHS yeah. And as a doctor, I've, you know, I, I, I've, I've always understood the value of, of healthcare workers in terms of helping families through very emotional times. Mm-hmm. I think this year I realized that as a doctor, or as a healthcare worker, not only, are you help, not only can you help society within the hospital, but you can actually make a change outside the hospital walls as well. And I think the NHS needs to go through a lot of rebuilding and a lot of families have been impacted by this virus and by this pandemic and we you know we just want to help these families wherever we can yeah. and it all first first it started off with Mary and then we started to see like ethnic minority groups were affected now we have these the vaccines coming along we're seeing a few a few issues here as well but it all just boils down to one thing Jess and that that is help those who need it the most and make sure those who who should be held accountable are held accountable because I feel that a lot of decisions have been made this year by our leaders and they've slipped away. And my biggest, I guess, anger has been is that a lot of people get away with it and then we are left to suffer. And I don't want to live in a world like that where, where we're still seeing things like this happen. So I don't have a, a concrete answer for you in terms of my campaigning and everything, but I just hope to have a positive impact uh, to, to families who've been affected by by the pandemic. On a more personal note, I do hope I can go back to Gibraltar at some point. Um, I went for a walk with Radhika today and it was so cold. And I was just thinking, <laughs> just imagine her just running on a beach in the Mediterranean Sea and just yeah. you know, these things that seem so far-fetched right now. And I know that we'd be so much more grateful when we're experiencing these moments with our families and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to those moments of gratitude and happiness um, and that sense of togetherness with our with our loved ones as well. And joy. I think yeah. that's the one word that has been missing so much over the last 12 months is just that joy without overthinking it, without, you know, worrying about it, but just having unfiltered joy. I've also been to Gibraltar and I love it. I didn't realize it literally is a rock, like a huge, <laughs> huge rock. And the airport always makes me laugh because you can literally like just see the walk airplane. Across walk across the runway. I like, I was like, what? <laughs> this is like crazy. But I loved it. It was one of my favorite mini breaks. My friend lives out there. And um, I took oh, Sophia, just me and Sophia, when she was really young. And we went for about 10 nights. Okay. And it was just beautiful. Wow. It's a beautiful place. The views are beautiful. So when you go back, can you let me know? <laughs> I'm gonna tag along. I will. And 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 that that's one of the those things, you know, you said just joy and that, you know, appreciating the small things in life, like looking out and seeing the sea, just enjoying the the rays of sun just drop falling onto your skin, just small things yeah. like that. We're gonna appreciate so much more. And and I'm I, I think I think that as a generation, we will appreciate each other. As as uh, and each, each other's presence so much more than we ever have, and and I'm really looking forward to seeing that that really positive side of of us in the next few months. I've got some amazing questions. So the psych member says, as a doctor and a mother, what are the things you think need to change the most in the NHS? 
I think it's a very tough question. Yeah. But what I would say is that I think that there's a, a big culture in the NHS um, as doctors where we just sort of get on with it, where we just say, look, we just have to be there for our patients every day. We just have to do our job and go home. But I think that we need to also look at our own working environments and not be afraid to say, actually, I think this change needs to happen so I can work in a better position and have a positive impact on my patients. Because the system is so big, right? I mean, you look at the NHS as doctors, we are just a tiny dot in a really big picture. And we think, well, it's really cumbersome to like speak to your line manager and speak to the head and then just go through all of that. But I think that I want to, well, I think that it's really important that as healthcare workers, we have to show people that we are working in this specific position. We know what positive things can change and we need to speak up when we feel something can have a positive impact on on our working environment. And I think that's something we really underestimate uh, because before I protested, I went through my own issues. Everyone goes through issues and we just end up complaining about it and go home and that's it and get on with it. But I think that's one thing that that culture needs to change and that culture needs to change in in the sense that we just need to encourage more people uh, to speak up rather than just say actually forget it it's just not going to happen because the people who are in those positions of power are sort of looking down on us and we feel that we're just these tiny dots but actually if we speak or all speak together and come together then I, I think that we can actually change a lot of things absolutely someone else has said and I love this question what is your best memory or best thing I guess about working within the NHS I have lots of great memories of of working in the NHS because when I walk into the hospital I I haven't been there for for a while but I I go through every part of the hospital and I always have a nice memory of someone I met or someone I spoke to but I have to say one of my my favorite moments personally was I had an elderly lady um, and she was going through some surgery and her grandson came to visit her and the grandson said to her said to me sorry as a doctor like can you let grandma go home because you wanted her to go home and it was really cute and all that and um, and then two years on when I protested I was on good morning Britain and the grandson had recognized me on tv <laughs> yeah and the grandson had mess had told and the grandson's father messaged me on Instagram saying oh you know this little boy saw you on tv and he recognized you and I think that that was the the most heartwarming message I've received um, as a doctor, but also through, through my campaigning and activism, because yeah. it just shows you that a small act of kindness can go such a long way. All I did was I think I think I must have got him like a lollipop or a chocolate or something just to keep him happy. It was nothing really, but and and this is the thing, you know, we talk about kids changing the world, is that yeah. you can actually have such a positive impact on them by showing them how to be a good person, and yeah. to receive that message, I think, has to be one of my I would say my happy moments. That's so powerful. And I, I know, again, you. I love how humble you are and how much you just like shrug if you're like, oh, I just got a lollipop. And I'm like, but all of those little things just add up to just how incredible you are and how kind and how thoughtful. And, and I guess that, you know, you evidence that by all the work that you do and the in- incredible positive impact you have because those tiny little things do have such massive impact. And children remember they remember learning something or seeing someone do something or, you know, I always say children will do as you do, not do as you say. Yeah. And 
you have to lead by example and those tiny little examples have impacted him already oh I recognize her that's again that representation is just huge and um, I'm just having another look at some of the questions uh, this question's from my mum who's watching <laughs> and she said in a hundred years how would you like to be remembered in history wow it's a very good question and I feel like I have to give a really wise answer now because you've told me that it's your mum <laughs> <laughs> um I've never thought about this, but what I would say is that in a hundred years' time, if someone reads my name or sees my photo, you know, finds my photo in a uh, in a library, or I just want them to to know me as one of the doctors who started a conversation. I want them to see me as the doctor who spoke up when things were wrong, um, and I, I just want to be. I just, you know, I, I just want people to understand that everything that I'm doing is all boiled down to that one question which is what is the truth? Hmm. And that's the question I want people to keep asking themselves every day when they are trying to fight for fight against injustice, when they're trying to fight against inequalities. Just boil everything down to that one question and then the answers will all be in front of you and your decisions will just roll on from there. That's amazing. I think you did give a really wise Was answer. Was that wise enough, Jess? <laughs> Um, someone's asked another question because you can submit questions in the other little box if someone wants to ask something but doesn't want to comment it on the little question box and they said and I guess you kind of answered this but what's your favorite thing about being a doctor I think my 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 favorite thing about being a doctor is knowing that not only are you having an impact on your patient but that mm. extends towards their family as well and it's like yes. the example I gave about her grand his her grandson because we get lots of patients who come back and relatives who come back saying, oh, you're the doctor who looked after my mom and looked after my father. Thank you so much. And again, it just goes back to that, that thing I was saying, that the impact you have outside the hospital walls as well plays such a huge role in what we do. And this is what really breaks my heart, you know, is that all these doctors and healthcare workers are really battling it out now on the front line. And when they're undermined or when they're underappreciated, that's that that's really hurtful and that's really painful because as doctors that's that one thing that keeps us going we have sleepless nights we're hungry all the time we're tired we're dehydrated we forget to drink water but these small things keep us going and when that's taken away from us I think that makes everything so much more difficult but I think what that has to be one of my favorite things about being a doctor is finding out every day the positive impact you can have on society because you learn something new every day yeah I always try and make a point of thanking my doctor or anyone within a hospital setting a midwife or whoever has done something that's really had a lasting impact because I realize that sometimes it's that that keeps them going you don't always get a thank you very often and I've always tried to make a point of whether it's dropping a card off or just sending a message or just going and saying do you know what thank you and I've had so many examples I had a midwife who one day when I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried <laughs> as you do and she sat down and she made me a cup of tea and she had a cup of tea on her break and she sat with me to have her cup of tea and I just thought this is like your prime 10 minutes to sit down on your own and rest and she chose to sit with me so I didn't feel so alone and I remember thanking her like every time I saw her by the end she probably got sick of me saying thank you um but I wanted to make a point because the impact that had on me moving forward and how I felt and how empowered I felt to not suck it up but to to you know I can do this I'm okay I'm not on my own I can do this and that was such an incredible impact that she had and I just think sometimes just saying that 
inspires you to keep going or empowers you to think, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing, yeah, I know this is why I love what I do because Mm. sometimes just being, you know, hearing a thank you and, and doing that is so powerful. Someone just said this, and I'm probably going to end on this question because I love it so much. Um, And it says, if you were prime minister today, which I totally think you should be, by the way, just saying, what would you say at the daily briefing? Oh, (laughs) not ending on an easy one. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. Well, obviously, that's very subjective to what the situation is, right? Um, That's true. I would the first thing I would I would do is and and this is one thing I I, I have said before that if I was prime minister today in this pandemic I would ask why are things going wrong and so many things have gone wrong and our leaders haven't addressed it mm-hmm. that's the worrying thing because these mishaps have cost lives it's as simple as that and if I was prime minister today and I was at the daily press briefing in this specific moment in time right now <laughs> I would. I would say I apologize for the big cock up. <laughs> Let's <laughs> yeah. try fix things now. Um, and I think I think that's one of those um, one of the one of the issues that we've had with our leaders is this accountability that yeah. sometimes you just have to put your hands up and say, "Look, we've made a mistake. Let's let's try and change things and and make things better." But you know, when you're going in these webs of lies and lies and lies, you find yourself where you yeah. just engage, um, and you become a laughing stock. Uh, that's that's what's happened to to our leaders and I think that one thing that I would like to do if I ever get into any position of power or any leadership role is figure out why those at the bottom are always affected the most and try my very best to change that I know we can't change it with one decision but uh, you'd always I'd always ask these questions for example why ethnic minority groups affected more why are pregnant women affected because these are the ones that are always ignored yeah and it's funny you say that it's not one decision but sometimes I think it it is it's one decision at a time it's that one tiny decision first which leads to another tiny decision it's never one huge decision it's always these tiny little ones and it's just making that first one if you can make a call on the first decision you've already started the process you've started the journey and then you decide to make another one and sometimes the the first decision in any capacity is the hardest one to make because you're not sure where to go and then you've got to deal with whatever the aftermath is of that first decision but actually it's always just that first one make that decision and then go right where do we go from here how can we better support the people that need it the most, the most vulnerable, the people who are affected the most? And what can we do to support them, help them and do more for them? Um, you have been just incredible. Like, honestly, you are just amazing. And Thank I know you. I've probably completely fangled. Um, <laughs> but I think everyone is because the work that you've done, the work that you continue to do, and I know the work that you're going to do because I know there's no stopping you now is so powerful and the example that you have set not just for me but for my children is just you know incredible and priceless and I I know that everybody is going to agree with me because they're sending you a million love hearts as well but thank you so much thank you so so much for sharing and for those of you who want to see Dr. Manau in the Migration Museum's incredible exhibit you can go and do that Um, I've also shared your um, handles and your social media on my platform so people can find you and they absolutely should and then obviously the incredible exhibit at the Migration Museum they can find you there as well um, and learn and and grow their knowledge and more to be people that also ignite incredible amounts of change like you have 
So thank you so thank much. You, you've, been, you've been great as well. And it's been a, a really nice way to end the day, um, full of hope and positivity and encouragement as well. And uh, we know a sense of unity as well. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And yeah, so now we can go back to breastfeeding and nappies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jess, thank you so much. Uh, take care. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye.